Come on. Thank you, Mark. Isn't God good? Like, how beautiful has this morning been already? Like, just insane. Just absolutely insane. He's so, so gracious to us and so good. I need to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Like, we are bowled over by your goodness and your grace to hear stories after stories of just you working beautifully in people's lives, mending hearts, releasing people to fullness, bringing people from darkness to light. Jesus, we give you all the glory this morning. We give you all the praise, all the adoration, all the honor, and all the thanks for all that you're doing. As we come to conclude this series this morning, we ask Holy Spirit for your presence to be tangible in this place. Extend and continue all that you have done and long to do in our hearts. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before I start, I'm going to give a bit of a recap. So I know there's people in the room that haven't been here, but this is the first time in a long time that all of our young people are crowded up at the back who have stayed in the service. They stayed up with us. Can we just give them a round of applause? And I love you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. They're fully packed in which is good. Um, We've been looking at this series called uh, Ecclesia, and uh, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, then uh, let me just inform you what it's looking at. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church that Jesus says uh, in Matthew 16, I will build my church, Ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I get an amen in the room? Come on, the gates of hell will not prevent, uh, prevail against the church as it expands, grows, and advances forward in its mission and in its purpose. And the beauty of the Ecclesia, as we have been exploring it over the last few weeks, is that it's not just something that Jesus is building by himself, but he invites you and I into that grand story that we get to be part of the building of the church. In our generation, in this time, in this moment, right now, you have been invited personally by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come and join him in the building of the Ecclesia. So as we looked at Ecclesia, we went to the first picture we have of the church. We look at Acts chapter 2, 42, where Luke, the author, starts to map out a biography of what took place in the church. And he said, this is what first started to happen. They were filled with the Spirit, Pentecost moment, and then they devoted themselves to these four principles, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We have looked at the first three, and we have looked at what happens when we devote ourselves to the first three. Luke goes on to tell us, and I encourage you to go read the word uh, from verse 43 to 47. And uh, today we're going to be looking at prayer, mission and salvation. All the sermons from the last two weeks are up on YouTube. So uh, if you've not watched them and you want to be filled in, then go and grab that. But today we are looking at prayer, prayer. We've already heard this morning, prayer changes things. Prayer shifts things in the atmosphere. Prayer moves things. It dismantles the schemes of the enemy and implements the schemes of God. That is the beauty of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Put your hands up if you've had answers to prayers before. Look at all these hands right here. This is what God does when his people pray because prayer shifts things. Sometimes the answers aren't quite what we expected, but he answers. He responds and he shifts things through prayer. And we hear in the Ecclesia, as Jesus builds his church, that one of the things he builds it on is the devotion to prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. And then verse 17 tells us what happens when we devote ourselves to prayer. And this is the beauty of prayer. That when we pray, God doesn't just take our words and then just listens to them. He doesn't just take our words and thinks about them. He takes our words and he responds to them. 
He does things that we can't even ask, think, or imagine when we start to pray. When the church starts to pray, things start to shift. Things start to move. And we see here that as the ecclesia started to devote themselves to prayer, prayer individually, prayer corporately, prayer together, what started to happen, verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The prerequisite to salvation is a faithful praying church. If we want to see salvation break out around us and break out within us, we must first learn how to be devoted to prayer because prayer changes things. It changes things. The disciples saw Jesus do so many things. Like imagine being there with the disciples when they followed Jesus before the ecclesia, before the church started to be built, before the Holy Spirit fell on his people. Jesus called his disciples and he walked the land. And as he walked the lands, he modeled what it was to be the living ecclesia. Jesus is the perfect representation of what the church looks like. He is the leader of the church, the head of the church. And as we read the Gospels, we see what it looks like for the church to move. We see him walking on water. Like imagine being there in the boat when Jesus starts walking towards you in water. That would be pretty cool, right? He raises people from the dead. He goes to the tombs and he says, Lazarus, we all know the story of Lazarus, many of us will know, come out of that grave, your time is not up. I find it fascinating that Jesus had to call him by name because he didn't. There was probably a hundred bodies getting up and walking towards him. <laughs> Jesus specifically says, Lazarus, your time's not up, get up. And the disciples see these things. We see him feeding thousands of people with just a few fish and a few loaves. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? We go to Nando's and just order one chicken and one chip. <laughs> Boom. It's like all there, save loads of money, loads of food. Like, that would be great, wouldn't it? They saw him open the eyes of the blind, healing brokenhearted. The lame started to walk. Demons started to flee. The disciples saw Jesus do incredible things. Yet across all the incredible things, the disciples wanted to know the ingredients to one thing. They could have asked about, Jesus teaches how to cast out demons. Jesus teaches how to walk on water. That'd be cool. Jesus teaches how to multiply food. Yet out of all the things in the New Testament, here's what the disciples say to Jesus. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. The disciples clearly saw within the rhythms of Jesus' life that he modeled a secret ingredient to his power, and that ingredient was prayer. Prayer was a consistent rhythm within the life of Jesus. And Jesus modeled the power of prayer within those rhythms that the disciples realized that his prayerfulness was tied to his power in such a way that if they could learn how to pray like Jesus prayed, they could walk in the power that Jesus walked in. What if I was to say to you this morning, the same is still true today? Prayer is the foundation of the effectiveness of the church. It is the heartbeat, the engine room. It starts to mobilize us, shift things, shift our hearts and shift other people's hearts. Prayer is powerful and the ecclesia devote themselves to prayer. How many people want to be a people that is devoted to prayer? We want to be devoted to prayer because prayer changes things. It moves things. If you're facing a hopeless situation this morning, 
Prayer has the power to change things. If you need doors open in this morning, prayer has the power to open them. If you need healing this morning, we have already heard it, prayer has the connection to bring about that healing. God is in the business of growing his ecclesia through prayer, which means he is in the business of growing you in prayer. I believe Jesus' mandate for this morning is to encourage you and to equip you to be more effective and consistent within your prayer life. I believe he wants to establish you as an individual part of the body and family of the ecclesia to learn the beauty of prayer. We hear about prayer. We've heard this morning of the testimonies of prayer. But I don't know about you, within my life, I've been a Christian for now 13 years. Prayer is sometimes challenging. Like prayer is one of those topics that when the sermon preacher starts preaching on them, I sometimes just zone out. Because I'm like, I really struggle at times with prayer. Many of us sat in this room will believe, as you've been hearing me speak, that you could have a greater consistency within your prayer life, that you could have a greater effectiveness within your prayer life. Because the reality is, is that many of us within the ecclesia within the church, struggle to pray because prayer is challenging. Why is prayer at times so difficult? Well, I want to unpack this, and then I'm going to give us four practical steps towards growing in prayer, and then I'm going to speak about how prayer actually ends up and results in us becoming more like Jesus and seeing salvation and mission around our lives. But let me talk about why prayer is so difficult. Prayer is difficult because prayer, effectively, at one of its roots, is spiritual Warfare. Spiritual warfare. Here's a touchy subject for some of us, right? Like, it gets all mystical and weird, and sometimes it's like, I don't know about this, but Paul, who is one of the spearheads of the Ecclesia, he was radically saved in Acts chapter 9. Like, he was a persecutor of the church, and then he became a missionary from the church because Jesus encountered him, changed his life. He starts writing letters to all these churches that he himself has planted, including the church of Ephesus. And here's one of the words that he says in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you want to note that in your notes, note that down. It's really important. He says these words to the church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You know, when we are weak, he is strong. When we fail, he comes through. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that you may, in the day, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done this, still able to stand. Stand firm then. Here we go. Here's what the armor is. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Not some, not a few. Every single one of them can be extinguished by the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. We looked at that within the uh, first week. So Paul paints this picture. Church, you need to be equipped with the armor of God. If you want to grow in prayer, 
if you want to be a prayer warrior, if you want to feel the life of prayer, the vibrancy of prayer, if you don't want just prayer to be something that happens when things go wrong, or when things are desperate, but you want prayer to be a rhythm of your life, here Paul comes along and he says, you need to wear the right clothing in order to operate well within prayer. And he tells you why you need to wear this clothing. You wear this clothing, so next verse, you can pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I want to simply suggest to you this morning, that prayer is spiritual warfare, which is sometimes why we struggle with prayer. But our prayers will continue to struggle to be consistent if we are wearing the wrong clothes. If we wear the wrong clothes, we will struggle to move forward in our effectiveness and consistency with prayer. What you are wearing in the spirit is extremely important. I want to let you know this morning that Jesus has given you a new wardrobe. Come on, there's a new fashion sense and it's the disciple of Jesus Christ. He has given you a brand new wardrobe, a new desire, a new fitting. Not only does he give us a new identity, but he gives us specific clothes to wear. That simply means this, Jesus wants to remove from you the clothes of despair. Jesus wants to remove from you the clothes of heart. Jesus wants to remove from you the clothes of your past. He wants to free you into the armor of his kingdom and release you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Armor which withstands the attacks of the enemy. Armor which straps truth around your waist and places righteousness on your chest. Armor that fits you with shoes ready to advance and not retreat. Armor that allows you to be freed from your past mistakes and allows you to move forward in power of the gospel. To give us a shield that doesn't just block out some of the arrows of the enemy, but a shield that blocks out every single arrow of the enemy. He gives us a helmet which guards our mind with salvation power of Christ. And then he gives us our greatest weapon, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit that we can use to dismantle the powers that reign in darkness. That is what Jesus gives you and that is what he longs for you to wear. But in order for you to place this on, you have to take off the clothes of your past. Don't let shame hold you back. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Shame has been holding you back for too long, and it's not what you're meant to be wearing. There is a new mandate of clothing that's placed on your life. Don't let fear hold you back. If there is adventures ahead of you, if there is words of God's ahead of you, if there is promises ahead of you, don't let that clothing of fear hold you back, but break free from it. Put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Stand firm against the devil's schemes. Shame doesn't have to be worn anymore because it's been dealt with by Jesus, praise the Lord. Fear doesn't have to be worn anymore because it's been dealt with by Jesus. Bitterness doesn't have to be worn anymore because it's been dealt with by Jesus. Terry Virgo says these words on prayer. Prayer is not me trying to impose my plans on God, but it is becoming acquainted with his covenant promises believing them, and then going into battle because of them, and wholeheartedly reminding God of his commitment and our expectation that he will accomplish what only he can accomplish. Prayer is the confidence of the adopted. Prayer stands true on the word of God and said, God has spoken it, so therefore it will take place. Prayer is spiritual warfare, but we have to remind ourselves that that war has already been won. The enemy's days are numbered, he will have his way for a while, but we are armored to not just be able to withstand, but to be able to advance. There is power in prayer. 
Prayer doesn't shift us from our power and allow us to think that our power is the way forward. Prayer allows us to understand that it's because of his power we can move forward. He is greater. He is stronger. He is braver. He is our helper. He is our defense. He is the one who pushes the ecclesia forward. He is the one that says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God doesn't give us armor to defend ourselves for survival. He gives us armor to advance. Notice that when it says the gates of hell, gates aren't an offensive weapon. They're a defensive weapon. What does that mean? It means that the the gates of hell won't prevail, not against us. The gates of hell won't prevail when we move forward and attack. That's what the gates of hell mean when it won't prevail. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory of the Lord is the cornerstone to which the church is being built. I might not have the strength to pray eloquent prayers all the time, but I do have the faith to believe that even when I don't, he will still build. Even when I am weak, he is still strong. Even when the war is raging, and it's only a matter of time, when things start to get hard in life, we trust in a God who declares over our lives, it is finished. There is a new armor for you to wear. There are prayers to be released today. There are prayers of faith over business and career choices. There are prayers to be today that that go up that will beckon in the response of heaven, which will declare over your life new adventures, new seasons, and new aspirations. There are prayers to be prayed today that will release fresh hope into your current realities, hope that does not bow down to fear, but hope that moves forward as the ecclesia. The ecclesia is devoted to prayer because prayer changes things. Let me give you four practical tips of how you can grow in prayer. And these aren't anything specifically from scripture. These are just things that I've learned in my own journey, but I've also learned in the community's journey as we've been growing. Here we go. First one, we just looked at it. You can grow in your your, your practice of prayer and become more consistent when you understand that it's a battle. Prayer is sometimes going to be difficult. It's not always easy. We have to recognize that when we pray, the enemy doesn't like it. When we pray, the gates of hell are not happy. So when we pray, there is naturally, it's an, it's an engagement into spiritual war. We have to recognize that. Otherwise, when times get tough, we'll just stop praying. We are called when times get tough to increase the prayer, to pray even more. That's the first point. Second point, Jesus teaches us this all the way throughout the Gospels, detached from distraction. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. How many people know that life is noisy? Yeah? Life is noisy. There's so many opinions and thoughts and narratives, and that's just even in our own heads. Then we go onto social media and we see everyone else's. Life is really, really noisy. So many thoughts, so many perspectives, so many uh, ways of seeing a story. And Jesus shows us that when life is noisy, it's absolutely okay to detach from distraction in order to hear the voice of heaven. That it's absolutely fine and if not encouraged for us to find rhythms within our week where we detach from noise in order to hear the voice of heaven. A quote I once heard, and I don't know who said it, it says, if the enemy cannot destroy us, he will distract us. Distraction is one of the greatest keys to the enemy keeping us as the ecclesia not moving forward but just stuck in our place. The ecclesia is not a distracted movement. The ecclesia is a devoted movement. We move forward, but in order to move forward in prayer, we must sometimes detach from distraction. When we detach, 
here's some things we can learn. We can practice stillness and listening. Stillness and listening. Now, I know we're in a Pentecostal church here, and stillness and listening is sometimes hard to come across because we like noise, don't we? Let's be honest. We like noise. Like, we like vibrancy. We like life-filled spaces, and that's why we're drawn to the Pentecostal movement. But there are things to learn from other people. There are things to learn from other ways of faith. There are things to learn of Christians that do things differently to the way we do things. And one of those things is practicing stillness and silence. Jesus did it. Note that the Bible doesn't say, uh, pray in tongues and know that I am God. It doesn't say, preach the word and know that I am God. It doesn't say, pray out loud and know that I am God. It doesn't say, scream at the top of your voice and know that I am God. It says, be still and know that I am God. Practicing stillness and listening is hugely important. Perhaps our methods of prayer have been limited because of our Pentecostal enthusiasm in some way has directed it towards one expression of communication which is vocalizing what we're thinking rather than understanding that prayer is so much more than just talking. Prayer is so much more than just talking. One of the things I've learned since I've been married over the last few years is the way to identify if you're comfortable with someone is that you become much more comfortable with silence. You become much more comfortable with silence. The more you spend with someone, the more comfortable you are with silence. But the opposite is also true. The less you spend time with someone, the less comfortable you are with silence. What does that tell us about our prayer life? If we have a need to consistently, continually be speaking, what does it declare over our comfortability in our relationship and communication with God? The more we know someone, the more comfortable we are with silence. There are so many scriptures in the New Testament, so many, and you'll find them. They'll start popping up this week, I imagine, where Jesus' harshest words towards prayer are people that keep speaking. We have to learn the art of stillness and silence because God, I promise you, God wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to shape us. And some of our greatest shaping will happen in environments of silence. Some of our greatest morphing of, of us into the image of Jesus will happen in places of stillness. Band, if you would like to join me, that would be fantastic. Fourthly, before we get on to mission, here's the fourth thing that will help you hopefully grow in prayer. You'll read it up on the screen. Pray with what you have. And don't give up. Pray with what you have and don't give up. There will be times in our life where we may feel like praying is the last thing we want to do because there is so much going on in our lives. There will be times within our seasons where the last thing we will think to do is to pray because of the craziness and pressures of life. There will be times where we don't even have the words to express what we want to communicate within our prayers. And in those moments, I want to encourage you to just bring what you have. God can use the smallest of prayers to accomplish the greatest of tasks. We don't always need big prayers to see big things happen. Sometimes small prayers hold just as much weight. And often in scripture, 
It is the most desperate and weak faith that attracts the presence of Jesus. Often in scripture, when Jesus is walking through, healing the the masses, advancing the gospel, being the ecclesia, he is drawn to the people that have the weakest faith, that have the smallest faith, that have what they believe to to be the most insignificant faith. And I want to let you know this morning that small faith is still faith, just like a small flame is still a fire. God can use the smallest of faith to accomplish the greatest of tasks if you would just bring what you have. We might think the God we grew up with believing can't handle what we're really thinking, but I tell you, the God of the Bible definitely can. Not only can he take what you're thinking, he can relate to it, he can use it, and he can shape us with it. There is a power that comes with our prayer if we just bring what we have. Smith Wigglesworth, a giant in the faith, says these words, my prayers often start in the flesh, but they end in the spirit. My prayers often start with the flesh, but they end in the spirit. David never wrote a psalm about how he conquered Goliath, but he did write a psalm about his affair with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband. Perhaps David knew that people like us need less encouragement about conquering our giants and more encouragement about God's grace when we struggle to have the words to say what we want to say. Perhaps David knew that people like you and I in the church will struggle at times. We will have difficulties at times. We won't know what to say at times. But even in those moments, we have a God who comes through, who is faithful even when we are faithless, who stands strong even when we are weak, who comes to our aid and our side consistently through every season, every storm, every mountaintop experience. We have a God who says, I am with you to the end of the age. And even when you don't know what to say, if you bring what you have, my response will astonish you. That's the God we serve. The Ecclesia is built upon prayer and the Lord is raising a people of prayer to see this land change for his kingdom. What happens when we pray? We come to the conclusion of this message and this series. When we are devoted to prayer, salvation will flow. When we are devoted to prayer, salvation will flow. Mission will flow. Expansion will flow. Advancement will flow. The prerequisite to faithful mission is faithful prayer. In Acts chapter 4, there's a story of Peter and John, and they are being the ecclesia, walking into the lands of unknown territory with the light of the gospel, and they are seeing signs and wonders and salvation break out. They're doing what we are called to do even to this day. There's a destiny on our lives, an emphasis on our lives to be a shining light even in the times of darkness. And they move forward and they started to see things take place. Look at all these prayers in Acts. That's every single prayer that the early church prayed in Acts. Now look at how many of them result in mission and salvation flowing from them. Luke is trying to get across to us that when we start praying, the outcome isn't that we just have a better life. The outcome is that the gospel advances and the kingdom grows and the church is built. Luke is trying to get across to us that our prayers change things. They don't just change the environment around us. They change the environment inside of us. And our heart starts to pump 
it starts to blaze with a passion and fire for Jesus Christ, for his church and for the gospel, that we start to recognize and realize that we are called to be the light in this dark time. As the land gets darker, we will get brighter, we will get lighter, because prayers always lead to mission and salvation. As Peter and John started to advance the gospel, as these things started to break out, what started to happen? The darkness didn't like it. Because prayer is a spiritual warfare. That when we start to actually live out the prayers that we're praying, the enemy doesn't like it and he comes in full force. So what started to happen in Acts chapter 4? Pontius Pilate and Herod started to get together. And here's what they say. Here's what they say in verse 17. We need to put a stop to this thing from spreading any further to the people. And we must, we must warn these people to speak no longer to anyone about the name of Jesus. Advancement brings opposition. But opposition is an invitation to kingdom abundance. And as they started to move forward, the conspiring against stopping the church started to happen. They had the backs up against the wall. And what did they start to do? Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant that is Jesus Christ. After they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the place where they were was shaken and they started to proclaim the word of God boldly. Their backs up against the wall. The problems and tensions and oppressions were there. It's like the last 18 months of our life, isn't it? struggles and difficulties and rejection and we don't know where to go and what did they do their default prayer wasn't lord please just protect us their default prayer was lord advance us move us forward the disciples knew that every moment of challenge was an invitation to mission it was an invitation to salvation it was an invitation for the church to be added to their number to be grown to be built up to be established that leaders would be released and it starts with prayer Prayer to believe a generation can be saved. Prayer to believe that this region can be won. It's prayer to believe that there can be an awakening of hope that changes the landscape of evil. Prayer to believe that darkness will not win this land, but the glory of the Lord will. Prayer to believe that the ecclesia is being built and the gates of hell will not prevail. Prayer to believe that the impossible can be made possible. Prayer to believe that all of our young people at the back, we can see them be the future leaders of this place, sharing the gospel, making disciples, and being the ecclesia that the Lord is building. Prayer to believe that we can be spiritual mothers and fathers to every single one of them that says, we believe the best in you. No matter what the news say about you, we believe the best in you. And we believe there can be a shaking, there can be a moving, and that the Lord will build his church. Prayer ends in mission and salvation. What if this morning our prayers weren't about anything else other than Jesus, build your church in us and let the gates of hell not prevail. Jesus, clothe us in your power part of what you are doing. Jesus, devote us to prayer so that signs, wonders, missions, and salvation will be the reality of our prayers. Jesus, don't let us pray empty words, but let us pray with boldness that this land can be taken for Jesus. Will you stand with me, church? Jesus, sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes the task looks so impossible, we don't know what to say. Sometimes it's so difficult, we don't know where to go or who to turn to. But in the Christian faith, we know that you are our rock and you are our cornerstone. You are our foundation and you are our time 
You are our help in the time of need. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will fill us with boldness to be the ecclesia of God, the church of God, not to defend and stand still, but to advance and move forward. And as we devote ourselves to prayer, as we devote ourselves to the word, as we devote ourselves to community, we will see the fruit starting to bear in our lives and in this place. We ask this in your powerful name. Would you just lift up your hands to heaven if you come to with this? Let me just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with boldness before I hand back to Mark. Jesus, fill us now. We're here together as a community. We're a family of God, the people of God, brothers and sisters. No hierarchy, no one better, no one worse, just equal in your sight. And we ask Holy Spirit, fill us to overflow with boldness. Fill us to overflow with your goodness. Fill us to overflow with your love and your peace and your mission and your grace and your mercy. Let us build our lives on your foundational love. Let us build our lives on who you are. Let us build our lives on your strength, on your hope, and on your glory. Fill us this morning to be the ecclesia that you are building. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.